fear the talking queers. Now that we're all here, the party can begin. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby and suck some fucking dick. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's all go to the bathroom. Let's all go to the bathroom. <laughs> Let's all go to the bathroom. Let's all go to the bathroom. And get that, that glory, glory hole. hole. Ah! Oh my god. <laughs> oh wow sorry if you're a new listener uh, <laughs> hope you didn't accidentally put on our podcast today <laughs> yeah at work this sounds cute <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh my name is jake and my name is frankie yes and we are fear the talking queers Welcome to the show. Yes, we are so excited to be here. You know what? There is so much just going on in not just our country, but the entire world. Every time I look at the news, it's just pure chaos. And what do we like to do when the world is burning around us? Watch movies. Yes, we like to go to the <laughs> movies. We want to forget the world we we live in. You know, we want to leave it. We want to leave it at the door. You know. You know, uh, movies obviously provide us that escapism that we all love and need. Yeah. yeah, so we finally got to get to go back to the movies. And of course, Woo! we're talking today about Candyman. Don't. Don't say that. Yes, Candyman, Candyman. You can be my Candyman. Ah. <laughs> Wait, is that the Mary Jane girl? Yes. Yes, Mary Jane girls. So we decided today for our intro that we are going to discuss some of the new horror trailers coming out, uh, or that are out, excuse me, for movies that are coming out, um, you know, just to give us a little hope and inspiration for the future. Like, you know what? Maybe the world is falling apart around us, but um, at least we have something to look forward to. One of the trailers that played before the Candyman movie started in my showing was um, the movie Antlers, which I think this trailer came out like a year ago, but you know. They're they're looking for theatrical releases for a lot of these movies. I mean, they put the time in, you know, they, they want it to be experienced in a theater. So they just postponed a bunch of shit, right? Yes. So Antlers was definitely one that caught the short end of the stick and, um, you know, has had to be pushed to an October 20... Sorry, October, right? October, yeah. And um, it's starring Miss Felicity slash Carrie <laughs> Russell and um, also um, a little freaky looking kid. And I will say that if you are a scary looking kid, you always got a job in a horror movie. Like... 100%. 100%. You'll, nev- he- you'll never be without work. Right. And he actually looks like a really talented actor. Like some of the clips that I saw in the Aww. trailer, I was like, oh, he looks like he's delivering a performance. I really like this um, take on like, it's almost like a resurgence of like 
monster movies, but like modern. Like, yeah. This looks really scary. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm excited. Creature features. Yes. Yeah, it does. Yeah, like evil Rudolph. Like who knew? I know. I'm just kidding. I, I'm I, just kidding. I don't even know if that's what it's about. Well, <laughs> it, it looks like it a scary deer beast. So yeah, you're on the right track. Oh, so that that is something to look forward to. I think it does look very, I think it looks really good. Um, I, you know, I think Carrie Russell's great. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always happy to see her in a horror movie. I feel like we haven't seen her in one since maybe but Dark Skies. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, and I really love that one, too. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen that one in a long time. Maybe we should revisit Dark Skies. I know. In the future season. <laughs> you never know. So there's another uh, horror movie coming out, and this one's more in the subgenre of body horror, and I am talking about Jackass Forever. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, geriatric horror too. <laughs> I know. These people, I cannot believe. Like they are too old to be doing this, right? Right? I, you know what? You're never too old. You know. <laughs> You're never too old to be shot out of a cannon <laughs> or to be bit by snakes or electrocuted or have your genitals mutilated by a softball or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> But I will say that I've never been interested in the Jackass movies, but for some reason, this one, um, I laughed during the whole trailer. And it's so ridiculous and so over the top, and they're so old now. But I was just like, I'm gonna probably watch this. (laughs) Oh, God. I mean, it does invoke a sense of nostalgia I will say. I, I don't mind it I think I'll be seeing it. I right, probably yeah, won't fair. go flock to the theater but I'll wait till it's on demand. Yes I will watch this movie for free one night when I'm like there is nothing else to watch Another movie that we kind of did talk about in a previous episode was Last Night in Soho this trailer played as well and it was so exciting to finally see this trailer on the big screen because you really got to see yes. just how amazing it's gonna look Oh my gosh, I'm so excited and it's and I like that this trailer so still excited. doesn't give away a lot. So, um No, it's, it's a be, complete mystery. Yeah, it looks like mis- like a mystery mixed with a time travel film, mis- mixed with maybe like a ghost film, maybe mixed with a slasher, maybe mixed with a psychological breakdown film I don't know and the styles it's sort of playing with like giallo and noir so I think it's gonna be fantastic yeah I just I'm, I really love the visuals in this it's just so vibrant and so classic and uh, I, just, I do really like it I'm really excited I hope it I hope it lives up to whatever expectations I have like do I even have an expectation at this point I don't know because again we really don't know a lot about it girl it better live up to our expectations because it's on our roster for this season. Ooh, yeah, we, we're uh, we're taking a leap of faith with no previous, <laughs> you know, uh, material to to pull from. We're not like, you know, what? we love the old Candyman. We're gonna do the new Candyman. Like, yeah. last night in Soho, we saw the trailer and we're like, okay, this is a fear of the talking queers production. Absolutely. So um, we hope it delivers, and um, whether it does or doesn't, you'll hear about what we think about it soon yes and then right before the movie started we got the halloween kills trailer which again this was the first (sighs) time i saw it on the big screen and i was like yes 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 i'm so excited for it so excited i need it as of today i saw online that it's 42 days 
until the movie comes out. Oh my god, it's so close. So by the time this comes out, it'll be even less. And this is another one that we announced um, very early on in the season that we would also be doing um, Halloween Kills as part of our season three lineup. Yes, exactly. And we have a special something planned for that episode too, but we're not going to announce it just yet. Yeah, just in case our plans fall apart. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, October's (laughs) a busy month for the talking queers. I know. It is going to be crazy. And our schedule is going to be tighter than... Um, my snatch so (laughs) (laughs) notice how I didn't say yours (laughs) (laughs) you fucking whore you fucking little whore (laughs) (laughs) Uh, alright well um, I think that gets us now that we're done with the trailers onto our feature presentation yes oh my gosh Candyman I enjoyed this movie thoroughly, but I do have to say, before we get started, there have been some exciting things that came out of this very successful opening for the Candyman movie. Uh, Jordan Peele's production company, Monkey Paw Productions, just signed like this TV overall deal with Universal Pictures. So we are going to be getting a lot more Monkey Paw production films and TV, which I'm super stoked about. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Bring it all on. Yes. I I want it all. I know. And they are very fixated on highlighting voices of people that aren't necessarily a part of the mainstream media. So I'm so excited and I can't wait for Jordan Peele's production company to just steamroll out some projects. Um, And then also, this was a major successful opening box office weekend. I think this is probably one of the biggest box office openings for any movie that's come out in the past, what, two years? Yeah, I mean, it's been rough. But I mean, they said that this is one of the first movies like since the pandemic that's been released in a theater to make a profit from movie theater viewing. Yeah, you better work. So that's, that's so exciting. That's, you know, and I love that it's, it's the horror genre, baby. You know, yes. we're resilient and we show up. You know what? And I knew that there was going to be some successful horror coming out of the pandemic because that's what happens. Anytime the world goes through these major horrific changes, that's what we flock to horror movies. We want to see it playing out on the screen. I think that this movie has some really, really solid social commentary. Yes. Oh, one more accolade that this movie got. This was the biggest box office opening for any black female director. Yes, Nia DaCosta. Yes. Do your thing because she did an amazing job and I can't wait to dissect this. I'm so excited to talk about it today. Um, by the way, before we get started, major spoiler alerts. We are going into the movie. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want it ruined, you better stop listening now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is not the Candyman of 1992. If you want to listen to that, we go back to season one. But this is of the new Candyman 2021. So if you're not looking for spoilers and you want to see the movie first in the theater, do that first and then come back and listen to us. Yes. Let's get to it. All righty. Uh, hooks up, ladies. It is time for Candyman. Candyman isn't real. I saw him. Candyman isn't real, Anthony. You don't understand. Okay, I I, I will show you that. Okay, Candyman. No, 
Candyman! <laughs> Candyman, released in 2021. Written by Jordan Peele, Wynne Rosenfeld, and Nia DaCosta. Directed by Nia DaCosta. Our movie begins in 1977, where we meet a kid named William Burke, played by Rodney L. Jones III, who lives in the Cabrini Green housing projects of Chicago. The neighborhood is on high alert because cops think a local man named Sherman Fields, played by Michael Hargrove, stuck razor blades in a girl's Halloween candy. William spots Sherman while doing laundry in the Cabrini Green laundry room, yelling in shock at the sight of the man who has a hook for a hand. William's yelling tips off the nearby cops who arrive and beat Sherman to death. Flash forward to 2019 where we meet Anthony McCoy, played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, a visual artist who lives with his girlfriend, art gallery director Brianna, played by Tiana Paris. They just leased a sleek new apartment that stands on the land that used to be the Cabrini Green buildings. Brianna's brother Troy, played by Nathan Stewart Jarrett, visits for dinner to introduce his new boyfriend, Grady, played by Kyle Kaminsky. The four of them discuss the gentrification of the Cabrini Green neighborhood, and Troy dramatically recounts the events of Helen Lyle, voiced in flashbacks by Virginia Madsen. However, in Troy's urban legend, Helen had a psychotic break while she investigated the legend of Candyman and is now said to be the one who committed the murders of 1992. Troy continues with a fictionalized story by saying Helen kidnapped the baby Candyman took, and before she could sacrifice the baby in the Cabrini Green bonfire, the neighborhood came together and rescued the baby. After, Helen is said to have walked into the bonfire, burning to death. Oh. All yes. right. All right. So, um our film begins uh, a very very similar way to the way the original begins, but uh with a little bit of a twist. So, our first shot that we have of this film is like going through this the the streets of the city of Chicago. Like you're seeing the buildings, but you're seeing it from like the ground up. Yeah. Right. We're like kind of looking at the sky and like the clouds are at the top, um, and you're we're sort of just going down the street, which is kind of like the opposite of what happened in the original, which is where we are shown the city from above. Yeah. Now we're like looking at it from below, and so I, I like that there's still like a bit of symmetry between the original and this first one, like right away. Yes. And I do think that the way you just worded that, like before we were seeing the city from afar and from above, and now we're seeing it up close and from down. I feel like that is the objective of this movie is to change the way we're looking at this legend of Candyman. So I think yeah, that and flips, flip it upside down. Exactly. Flip it upside down and give us a different spin on it. It almost like kind of traps you, right? Like, yeah, in you there. feel There's like no, enclosed by these skyscrapers. Yeah. Chicago itself is a character in this film. It like, is. The, the, the setting, the, like Cabrini Green, and like, so it, it sort of boxes us here in Chicago mm-hmm. with without being able to see the sky. So I think I thought that was really brilliant. This is also a little disorienting, especially because in the very beginning, the Universal logo, they had it backwards, like a mirror reflection. I, I'm not gonna lie, that freaked me out. I was like, oh God. I was almost like, what the hell's happening? I was like, not the movie being backwards. <laughs> <laughs> the whole movie film like that. The, I thought the whole movie was gonna be like that. I was like, oh, oh shit. Oh, artistic choices. But no, luckily not. 
Then we go back in time to before the original movie. We go back to 1977 um, in the Cabrini Green projects yeah. are, I, I'm assuming, fairly new. Um, they're not as beat up as they are in the 1992 version. And I, I do love this sense of apartment living just because this is how I grew up. And so I got a okay. little bit of nostalgia from that. The, the laundry room. The laundry room experience is definitely triggering. <laughs> like, God damn it. Got to go walk all the way. Take my laundry. And honestly, a laundry room like at night, even though this sort of happens during the day. Yes. And it's kind of scary. It definitely it's has like an eeriness to it. Lonely. Yeah. It's just a perfect place. For somebody to, I don't know, be hiding. Yes. This young actor, Rodney L. Jones III, playing young William, is stunning. I think that his act, his eyes, his expressions were great oh, yeah. throughout the film. Yeah, he really took me there, too. Like, seeing these things through, like, a young mind is so different yeah. than seeing it as an adult. So I, I think putting us into his perspective, I think he did a really great job with that. They're looking for somebody. They're looking for Sherman. Like, So Sherman is on the loose, and I don't think we know too much about who Sherman is yet. We will follow William into the laundry room where he's like, you know, putting away his laundry, just doing his business. And there's a giant hole in the wall, which is horrifying and terrifying. And you know who crawls out of there? Miss Sherman. <laughs> Miss Sherman comes <laughs> with a handful of candy. And Sherman, I think, um, is played very well because I do think that he's probably has a mental health issue, whether it be a mental health issue sure. or he just has some developmental issues. Yeah, it seems like he has like a young mind. Yeah. You know, like, and, he, and he's very sweet and he just like maybe loves children and. You know, lo- loves the act of like gifting children candy or something, but you know he's been falsely accused by a little white girl of putting razor blades in the candy right. that he that he's given children. And just like in the 1992 version, it's like as soon as it starts happening to a little white person, all of a sudden, oh yeah, it, oh yeah, the police are staked everywhere. They're on the lookout. Yeah, exactly. And so um, this part kind of confused me at first, too, where, you know, Sherman walks out and I wasn't really I hadn't really connected the Sherman dots yet, you know. Right. And I was like, oh, I was like, that's not Candyman. Who's that man? I was like, I was expecting yeah. Tony Todd, you know. Right. And not necessarily to be this character Sherman, but to be Candyman, because when he walks out of this hole, he's in full Candyman getup. Like he's got the, the yellow jacket. He's got the hook on the hand. And I was like, oh. I was like, I'm confused. I was like, I didn't realize that somebody else was playing Candyman. Yeah, this is the beginning but... of the movie turning the story on its head and giving us something new. So this question yeah. is very, you know, prevalent in this opening because you're like, what the hell is going on? And so you hear the cops. The cops are running, and he and he William is standing at the at the on the stairs, right? And then um, he drops a piece of the candy. To me, that's like what what really signaled the cops because the cops were in the building, yeah, looking for him. And then the cops just barge through, all white, and they run down there and they full on just beat him to death. And we still have no idea if Sherman's even the one that you know. Just because he has candy yeah. doesn't mean he's the one that put razor blades in it. So this is definitely a reflection of the world we live in oh yeah unfortunately it's very sad and before we can feel anything we flash forward to 2019 the newly 
um, gentrified Cabrini Green projects. Yes. But they're no longer yes. projects. They're sleek apartment buildings. Oh my God. No, yeah. These are fierce. These are like giant lofts. Yeah. Like, super cute. I was like, oh my God, I want to, I want to move to Cabrini Green. But that's the, but that's what it is. That's, which is part of the, the problem. Part of the commentary there. <laughs> yeah, part of the problem. Yeah. This is here part I of am. the issue. Yeah, here you are. I was like, ooh, cute. Yeah, I'm definitely going to move here. <laughs> Speaking of sleek and handsome, here comes Mr. Yahya Abdul-Mateen II as Anthony McCoy, who, I, I mean, right away, if you're a fan of the Candyman movies, you know the name Anthony McCoy. Right, yes. Who is the little boy, the little baby. The little baby. baby. Little bing bing. The little blah blah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the little blah blah that gets... Um, abducted by Candyman slash Helen, but yeah. Candyman as Helen. Yeah, for a month. In the first one. A month. For a, uh, for a month. <laughs> Before we actually meet him, we meet um, Troy and Grady. Super cute. Gay couple. Yes. Work. It felt so refreshing to see this. These characters were gay. Yes. And it had nothing to do with them being gay. No. I was like, oh my God, nope. finally. They're just people. Finally. They're just people. They were just people. So Troy is the character of Brianna's brother, right? And, you know, he's on his way with his boyfriend to introduce his introduce his new boyfriend to his sister yes and it's not played like oh my god my brothers bring over a guy like be not like it has nothing no mention of that ever no we're just having unapologetically queer characters and troy is a little bit of a mean girl because yeah (laughs) he comes in and he starts bullying um anthony basically like when are you gonna make a new art project when is my sister gonna stop supporting you i'm sick of this and and, yeah, and then Anthony has this moment where he says, "Well, you're my muse, and you haven't been around enough, whatever." I was like, "I, I my panties would have been soaked." Oh my if, god! If if Mister Anthony as Yaya Abdul Mateen told me that I was his muse. <laughs> Oh, damn. (laughs) Okay, so before they start talking, right, and they discuss how these apartment buildings used to be Cabrini Green. You know, there's all this talk about gentrification, and they say, well, white people built the ghetto, then erased it when they realized they built the ghetto. I mean, but it's true. Yeah, so, like, this movie is for sure exploring the idea of, like, gentrification Mm -hmm. and the horrors behind it. Communities of color have to actively fight to keep their spaces alive. Where I grew up, I feel like there's this something happening where because it's so easy to get to San Francisco from the town that I grew up in, that it's getting more expensive. And therefore, the people that grew up there, um, a, a majority of them being people of color, are being pushed out to other ghettos, exactly. if you will, and so to make room for you know the Silicon Valley community, almost you know, which is majority white. Yeah, and they market it as like low income, how like or like low right. price, you know. So if you are, if you're looking to get out of the city, you know, where it's too expensive, you can come now to these areas that are being developed. And um, one of the good lines that they that comes later in the movie. Where that Anthony says is like, you know, if you stay here for a few years, we'll eventually put up a Whole Foods for you. you know? <laughs> exactly. That, very that. That's hor- That's horrifying. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's unfair 
to see that happening. Oh, and then this next scene is a uh, girl, uh, Miss Troy takes out some candles, some, some, oh my God. some black candles too, right? Some like eerie looking candles and lights them. Yeah. And um, has this whole flashback to the original story of Candyman 1992. These flashbacks constantly playing through the use of these paper shadow dolls is amazing. They're so cute. And it's a perfect way to refresh us on the story of the previous film, um, but like without just like showing us what happened, just like showing clips. Right, you know? clips. We that. No, we don't need that. So we kind of hear some of Virginia Madsen's voice and we see these cutouts and you're like, this looks very familiar. Yes, yes. What a nice like new way to do a flashback moment. I love it. Totally. Except for they do sort of um, play into the fact that the actual story of what happened isn't really widely known. Obviously, people don't know that Candyman is real. So, of course, it's assumed at this point that Helen Lyle was responsible for all the horrors that happened in the first film. And that's how Troy explains it. Yeah. It's just a good refresher, but also shows us like where we are and like where the characters are as far as like knowing about the story. But it also serves the purpose of erasing Candyman 2 and 3. <laughs> Thank fuck. I actually read somebody's review that said that they were upset that the Farewell to the Flesh and Day of the Dead movies were not involved. And I was like, you are? I never went into this thinking that this was going to include those two movies. Oh, we're lucky it no. considered the first one. I yeah, <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. The the I've only seen Day of the Dead, and oof, that movie is rough. It's rough. Starring some blonde bitch from Baywatch. Oh my god! Like, <laughs> I was like, this is definitely not the Candyman movie we need because all of them no. always center around a white lead, you know, navigating their survival against this, you know, black serial murdering ghost. Exactly. You know? Yeah, and this movie definitely takes that into account. And makes the necessary changes yes. to uh, make it make more sense. Make it make sense, please. Yes. Oh, we also forgot to mention that Tiana Paris is in this and she is gorgeous. Awesome. Stunning. Stunning. And she, I think, was the best actor in this entire movie. So natural. She is her character. So it's it's really nice to see her serving up and Candyman. And and her character, she said, I'm rich, I'm successful, I'm artsy, I, you know, I make the money here. Right. And that's fine. The breadwinner. Right. Also, uh, trope switch up, I would say, is cat the casting of Yahya Abdul-Mateen II as Anthony McCoy. It's so interesting to see a character who is big and strong, who's also, like, a sensitive artist. Yeah, It's like, oh my god, that's such an, uh, I a feel switch like up it's and... just something we don't, yeah, we yeah. don't see portrayed very often we let's see where these characters go next yes intrigued by troy's story anthony decides to make the legend of Candyman, helen and cabrini green the subject of his new art project as he scouts out the area where cabrini green once stood anthony is stung by a bee on his hand he also meets the now grown up William Burke, played by Coleman Domingo, who works at the laundromat. William tells Anthony the story of Sherman Fields, saying he never saw true fear until he saw Sherman killed by the police. Sherman was later exonerated when more children received candy with razor blades. He also says the legend of Candyman changes over the years and the name has been applied to very 
various people from the area, although the story originated with Daniel Robitaille, the artist who impregnated the daughter of a prominent white family and was then lynched by a white mob. But the most important part of this legend? Repeating the name Candyman five times in front of a mirror invokes Sherman's spirit, at which point he appears in the reflection and kills whoever spoke his name. Anthony is inspired and begins to feel a deep connection with the Candyman legend. He develops an art exhibit about the story, a mirror that can be opened. Behind the glass is a series of paintings inspired by Sherman's death. He showcases his work at Brianna's gallery, but is dismayed when he does not get the kind of reaction he was hoping for, especially from a prominent art critic, white woman Finley Stevens, played by Rebecca Spence. (laughs) White woman. (laughs) Yeah. Local white woman. One person does seem interested in the Candyman artwork, a college student named Haley, played by Heidi Grace Angerman, who takes a picture of the mirrors and reads about the legend on the gallery's program. The lack of interest in his work leads Anthony to get tipsy and confront Brianna's co-workers, Clive, played by Brian King, and Jerrica, played by Miriam Moss. They diss his work and his relationship with Brianna. After the gallery closes, Clive and Jerrica stay behind, still talking shit about Anthony. They begin to get sexual with each other as they look on at Anthony's artwork. As Clive kisses Jerrica's neck, she tries out the legend by saying Candyman five times in the mirror. Suddenly, her neck is sliced open, blood gushing everywhere. Clive begins to see visions of Sherman in the reflection of the gallery's mirrors. As Clive tries to exit the gallery, he is dragged across the room by Candyman Sherman's invisible force and is torn apart by his hook. Oh Oh my god. We're ramping up. We're getting some action here. Candyman is in the building. First, we get the return of the killer bees, girl. These bees don't know how to act, and they sting (laughs) Mr. Anthony on his hand. Ooh, I know. know. And immediately, it gets all red and boily. Then we meet the now grown-up William, played by Coleman Domingo, who... Oh, I love Coleman Domingo. He's a great fantastic actor he's so good he's another one who's always just so natural in his embodiment of a character yeah i love coleman domingo and so with the introduction of coleman domingo's william he uh reintroduces us to the Candyman legend right like we got a little bit with the puppet show of helen but now we're getting like the backstory of Candyman, which answers our questions about why sherman is Candyman and why this actor is not Tony Todd. Like it, it, I was like, Oh, thank God. Okay. Now I get it because in this, in this explanation, basically Candyman is, you know, a moniker applied to many a different people and that Candyman is the hive. Yes. The hive. Yes. yes. That is well uh, said. Candyman itself is a hive and that all like the branches off are just like the bees. That's why we have multiple ones like Sherman and Daniel Robitaille, who we know as the Tony Todd version of Candyman. But apparently there are also several others. These men who, who wrongfully lost their lives at the hands of like racism. Yeah, brutal racism. A brutal racism who were who are innocent of their crimes but punished solely for being black. Yeah. And this is exactly what the media does to us. They create these candy men because I find it especially living in a more diverse area like the Bay the San Francisco Bay Area, when you see news reports of black men or you know, just black people in general being 
mistreated by the police. They show up, you know, like a social media picture of the victim. They're, you know, being portrayed in like a very negative light. Right. And then we and we have this thing about digging up whatever we can of, from their past that will immediately put any doubt in the mind of anybody who, yeah. you know. They try to justify why this person yeah. died. And it's like, exactly. that's no excuse. No, there's no excuse in the world. I just, I, I hate when they do this. And, and this is what media does. This is what white America does. They vilify people of color. Yeah, that is disgusting. Exactly. It's a disgusting thing that keeps happening. It, yeah, exactly. It's like a, it's like a gross misrepresentation of, of, of people. Yeah, the value right. that America puts on people's lives, it's just... Yeah, it's non-existent. Horrific. <laughs> yeah, it's horrific. Yeah. Um, so exactly. I, I do, I think that this new direction that this movie is starting to go now with this explanation of Sherman and Daniel and these many other black men who are just a part of the, like you said, the hive of Candyman, this is, I think... A better narrative for this story. Oh yeah, for sure. I, anybody could eventually become Candyman, you know, mm-hmm. based on the circumstances and that in that it was born out of collective storytelling, right? Based on how their story is retold, and then they'll be the next Candyman. Exactly. Anthony feels obviously connected to this, and we as the audience know why. I think this is interesting that this is a sequel, but then like the main character was a part of the original movie, but doesn't realize. That they were a part but as yeah. the audience well us is like you know the the knowledgeable audience right knows exactly. who this character is but he doesn't know i'm like that this is really interesting i've never seen this done before uh, yeah it's a really interesting approach for sure i do have a question though and i don't know i don't this might be up for interpretation but do you think that Candyman chose anthony when he's when he got stung by the bee or like why do you think like when do you think anthony was sort of chosen to be Candyman's like conduit here i don't know what, do you think it started I, with the bee to, like because you know he's like taking pictures of cabrini and then that bee flies on him and stings him and obviously we know the implication of like the sting and almost like becomes this like overwhelming infection on him when he's being you know he's sort of like decaying from the outside Mm -hmm. um but i'm like is that the moment that he was sort of chosen to spoiler become like the new candy man or i I don't know i think this might be a little bit of a fault in the storytelling here just to try to link everything together just because there are several versions of Candyman, you know, but not all of them, I don't think, would necessarily be connected to Daniel Robitaille. But for some reason, right. Anthony McCoy just so happens to end up being uh, a Candyman. And he just so happens to also be connected to Daniel Robitaille because he was kidnapped by his spirit. Right, exactly. 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're like trying to like tie up the or like make it connect. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, you know, which is. Which is fine. It's just like a little like, um, okay. So was this kid always destined or did it just happen to be a coincidence? Oh, so he makes, he makes this art project and he calls it Say My Name, which brings us to the streets. Destiny's Child. Oh. Oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, that, that song was used in the trailer. You know, again, we always have to call out the spooky versions of pop songs that pop end up songs. in these horror movie trailers lately. Yeah. And this one was, say my name, say 
say money. Yeah, and in some of the early marketing, you know, it was like dare to say his name. And I would never put this together until I started reading reviews. It's a direct reflection of the protests where like say his name. George Floyd. Oh, yeah. Or say her name, Breonna Taylor. And it's like, oh my God, I didn't even put those two things together. There was like a, a need for us to recognize these, you know, these people who have lost their lives unfairly, unjustly. You know, we need to to remember their names, remember that they were human beings with lives and families and loved ones and children and parents. And It's a reversal of what we were saying earlier, what the media does to their stories it's a reversal of that it's like no 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 no. that's not who they were this person was a father a mother a sister a brother you know exactly i think it's just like an interesting way to connect Candyman to like the current social commentary because in order for Candyman to exist and to you know kill kill he has to be remembered people because part of the legend is that you have to say his name five times in the mirror which yeah I'm curious about who do you think made up those rules? The devil? (laughs) Yeah, like when when does that happen? Like when is the the meeting about like, all right, so you're a ghost now, so here are your rules. People got to (laughs) look in the mirror and they got to say your name five times. They're all Miss Mary. Miss Mary already has the three times, so if you want to have that, it has to be a different number. Five. Yeah, we don't. (laughs) She's a big deal, um, so we can't really step on her toes too much. But I think five is good. Like, what do you think? Five? Does that work for you? And then so uh, we start meeting some really just shitty white people. Oh, yeah. Some these characters are not likable in any sense. First of all, we don't even really get to know who they are. We just know them yeah. as assholes. And you know what? I'm fine with that. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know what? I will say that this movie has a very swift runtime. It's only 90 minutes. So, I didn't even notice that. I was thinking it was two hours after I watched it and I was like, oh wait, no. No, no yeah. Short. It's very short. So we so um it's a little bit of a criticism I've read a lot about it is that the story isn't fleshed like or like the characters aren't fleshed out enough because we don't really have too much time with them. You know? Yeah. Because this movie does go by so quickly and there's a lot of um, artsy sort of you know camera things that happen and, and visual things that happen that our actual time with the characters is actually pretty limited very brief and yeah very brief so like we meet characters like Clive who just comes across as like this like dickhead art yuppie right and that's one thing that's re- that's really interesting about this movie. I'm like, my God, the art world is so fucking weird. It is. It is. Like, visual art is such... I don't know. It's such it's a, different a different monster. monster. I just mm-hmm. don't understand it. But maybe I just don't have a he- I don't have a head for art, for visual art. To be an artist, like a visual artist, and to... Whether you paint or you sketch or whatever it may be, just to keep having to do that. And then there's this pressure, like, to reinvent yourself or do something different. Like, there's that scene where Clive is talking to Anthony. He's like, This is the Anthony of two years ago. I want the Anthony of the future. Yeah. Like, oh, God. What does that mean? What he does that mean? He calls him the great black hope of Chicago, which I was like, Yeah. Mm. 
don't, <laughs> kind of putting him into a box, but you know, like I, I don't know. I, I just, I can't imagine how hard it would be to be an artist who is just constantly being pressured to create something new and fresh when yeah. you are just one person with one experience. I do like this struggling artist angle. I think it's an interesting setup for the investigation of everything. Um, and and it, of course it links back to the OG Candyman, Daniel Robitaille, who also was a painter. So I think that's a mm, nice Yeah, that connection. is true. I didn't even put that together. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. He's a painter who fell in love with the wrong white girl, rich white girl, and then um, unfortunately led to his... Demise. untimely demise um yeah. and so yeah that's an interesting connection that yeah we're back to the art world and um you know there's something about this one and the original Candyman. the characters are academics either artists or she's like a she's like journalist a student she's like or... yeah she's a journalist and you know she's doing this piece on you know urban folklore and so there's always a there's a sophistication to these movies that, they um, are continued that, through this, which is a different style. Which I think why is why Candyman should be up there with the big, you know, franchises because the Candyman, both 1992 and this one, has this sophistication. Like it's like a it's like a fine wine amongst like a yeah. world of cheap slashers. Seriously, among tits and summer camps like you know <laughs> yeah. this, this takes place like in the academic world or the art world and it's sort of yes. and it's always been this sort of you know battle between this you know sophisticated life or upper class life you know juxtaposed with like low income housing and projects yeah. and things like that it's like the struggle between that um, so I'm glad that they they continue that in this in, the, in this film. Yeah, and back to Clive. Ew, like he's like, I don't want. Do you remember when they're trying out the mirror? And he's like, I don't want you to die tonight, not until we fuck. I'm like, ew, ew. Yeah. So they're like these like asshole characters, like asshole art snobs who just don't believe in Anthony's talent anymore, and they blame Brianna's uh, affiliation with him as the only reason why he's even in the show. And um, so they're just like talking shit and like at, in the middle of the night, like after the show's over, and then they're like, yeah, let's fuck. And it's also kind of gross and like. <laughs> Anthony makes a really good call when he like calls him out for his uh, summer intern program, which is basically Clive's way of getting these young girls to fuck him. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and that's exactly what happens because Miss Jerrica, she's down. Yeah. And so they start going for it, but then her dumb ass is like, well, how does this go? Candyman, Candyman. And he's like kissing her neck and it's getting real, real, I would say hot, but it's not really that hot. <laughs> yeah, it's not really hot, but... Um, then it gets really hot when her blood starts spurting out of her neck. Oh, yeah. No, I love and I love that part because you just see um, Sherman just run up behind them and just sl- like slash her throat, and then he's gone. Like the, the the one thing that this movie does really successfully is the use of reflection or just quick shots. Like we not we're never really given a full clear shot of Candyman. Yeah, I was interested to see what you thought of that because the only time we ever see Candyman materialized is in the mirrors. 
Whereas in the 1992 version, we did get to see him kind of walk around and yeah. you know, uh, interact with Helen. But in this one, yeah, you, you can catch glimpses of him if you keep looking in the mirror. But yeah, otherwise... he seems to only exist in the shadows and the mirrors and the reflections. And I love it. I think that's so cool because you're constantly on the lookout, right? You're constantly like, did I see him in the background? Did I not? Is he there? Mm-hmm. It, it's just really brilliant. And so he cuts Jerrica's neck and Clive's like, is this real? Uh, yeah. And I, I do, I do agree with the Candyman in the mirror thing. I do think that it just feeds into the commentary. Like, it's not the person actually physically there that's doing this. It's what has been displayed of their story. Like we keep saying, sure, the re- the reflection of their story. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's smoke and mirrors. It's not who they are. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, just smoke and mirrors. It's what they've yeah. become. Yeah. Right. And he is super ghosty in this. Like he it they, they definitely made the most of um you know the technological advances we've made since nineteen ninety two. Yes. And um I yeah, I think this part is really cool. This and then, is great. you know, Clive is like running for his life and runs towards the door. Yeah, just gets dragged by his feet and just like, you know, rubbing the blood all over the floor almost as if it's like a work of art. Yes, painting. You know? it's- Splatter movie killed. Insides on the outside. Ripped open from end to end. <laughs> <laughs> and then we actually don't see uh, him actually getting the final blow. It cuts away. Let's see what happens that next morning. The next morning, Brianna finds Clive and Jerrica's bodies. She also has nightmares about the memory of her father, a depressed artist who seems to have possibly committed suicide in front of her. Brianna becomes upset when she and Anthony watch the news report about the murders, and Anthony is gleeful about his name mentioned on TV. Meanwhile, Anthony's mind begins to fracture, and his bee sting has become infected, disfiguring the skin around it. Anthony becomes consumed by the Candyman legend. He even makes a trip to the university Helen Lyle worked at, and he's able to retrieve her archived studies from the school's library, including her audio recordings. Oh my god, this scene's hilarious, by the way. That girl who's, like, at the front desk. Oh, she's me. Like, I'm, like... (laughs) Oh my god, she's like, oh my god, are you a student here? (laughs) Yeah, she's like, ooh, when did you start going here? I'm horny. We're full (laughs) service. (laughs) Yeah. When he leaves the library via an elevator covered in mirrors, the elevator stops and Anthony sees visions of his reflection as Sherman until the elevator finally reopens. At home, he listens to Helen's recordings and madly continues to paint. Brianna reminds Anthony that they have a very important dinner with prominent people in the art industry. Before the dinner, Anthony has a meeting at the home of Finley Stevens. She's had a change of heart about his art exhibit now that the work is the centerpiece of a sensationalized murder story. During the tense interview, Anthony dares Finley to say Candyman five times in the mirror. While in the restroom, Finley looks in the mirror and contemplates saying Candyman's name. Meanwhile, Anthony stares at his infected bee sting, which is now peeling and spreading up his arm. He covers it with a napkin and looks for Finley. He comes across a hallway mirror where he sees his own reflection as Sherman, beaten and covered in bees. Finley interrupts Anthony's hallucination and he hurries out of her apartment. 
As Finley watches Anthony leave, we pan out of her apartment and watch from a distance as she's lifted and stabbed by Candyman's invisible force. She's then dragged all over her apartment, smearing blood on the walls and the windows. Disturbed, Anthony meets Brianna at her dinner, where her colleagues have shown interest in her elevating career. Their dinner is interrupted when the table receives news via their phones that Finley has been murdered. Anthony quickly runs off after hearing the news and Brianna calls after him, concerned in her voice. Okay, so this section starts with a moment that I think was a little weird. I don't know that I necessarily liked the splicing of the discovery of Clive and Jerrica's bodies mixed in with this moment that Brianna had with her father. Yeah, especially because it's not really fleshed out why this is in there. I know it's mentioned later on, but it still, even when it's mentioned, it has nothing to do with the story. Right. It seems like they're they're like, okay, they're like, how do we flesh out Brianna a little more? Like, oh, she has trauma from her seeing her dad jump off of a building. I think that if this was part of Brianna's backstory, that she too had an artist father, you know, and that's part of why she's in the art industry and she kind of sees the correlation of Anthony breaking down over his art project and just like her father did. I I like that. I just thought it could have been a monologue and not necessarily a flashback. Yeah, because it didn't it didn't really explain that her dad maybe had a psychotic artistic break, you know? It was just like obviously he's going through something and he's like, "Did you know your daddy could fly?" And she's yeah. like, "Uh." And we only know he's an artist cuz there's like some some easels and things but like yeah I thought she could have I thought a good moment to explain this would have been like when later on when she confronts and she's looking at his artwork he's like don't look at it like I I could have seen her doing this like tearful you know moment of you know what I went through with my father yeah exactly I've seen this yeah here we are wanting to see what's come of Clive and Jerrica and we don't get that because we're I don't know. I don't know. I didn't like the mixture of it. I thought it was right. Weird. Exactly. One thing I do uh, appreciate about this movie is that it's not overtly graphic. Like I think keeping the subtlety there, I think it just does. I think it does just enough of gore and you know violence to where it's not over the top, but it's also not underdone. I think it like really has a, a perfect mesh where it's like this movie is still spooky and scary but it's not like overly gross right but it is you know but it is bloody for sure yeah and this body horror element with anthony's bee sting becoming infected is oh god really effective he's sort of becoming the embodiment of the hive like you said right yeah because if you notice like as the movie goes on and it gets worse and worse his skin almost starts to look like Honeycomb. Yes, yeah. So I think you are really on to something with saying that Candyman is the hive. Because I think that Anthony being stung by this bee, he is becoming like the embodiment of all the Candymen. All the legends in one. But we'll get to that. We get to the um, moment, you know, Miss, Miss, Miss Little Librarian tried it. But we get some cool audio through the recordings that he obtains of Helen. You know, we hear Virginia Madsen's very distinct voice. Sounded like she's smoking cigarettes. Um, yes <laughs> yeah and bitch do they smoke cigarettes in that first movie they smoke cigarettes like like they're drinking water <laughs> yeah yeah um this is the the moment where we hear her talk about Candyman used as a boogeyman to 
essentially prepare kids for the true horrors of the world. Yeah. And then we get this elevator moment. And it's like, it leads right into that where he sees the horror. What could become of him? He could be another Candyman or another Sherman. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, he's starting to see himself as Candyman in the reflections, right? I think yeah. that, that that elevator scene is pretty spooky. It's pretty spooky, especially because you're seeing this man beaten up and you're like, you know, well, he looks scary. But then when you think about the reason he's beaten up because of police brutality, it's true horror. It's not just a horror movie with a disfigured ghost. It's like he, this, this ghost is like this because of a true horror. Right, exactly. A true horror that could potentially be him. It, it, it has every capability just because of where our society is that he could be the next one and he's already becoming it you know or he's at least seeing himself in that and so I think that's a really successful scene oh yeah so so now we have this scene with Finley and Miss Finley right and um, her character is really intriguing because she's like this uppity art critic right and uh, at the art show she was like looking at his stuff and she was not buying it she's all mm-hmm. she's like whatever she's like this is cliche this is overdone it's literal it's not what it's whatever right yeah. but all of a sudden now that they're that people are murdered in front of this you know supposedly connected to this piece of art she's like i love it (laughs) yeah she's like your work is very macabre she's like which is you know very interesting considering what happened he's like oh now you like my work she's like yeah now yeah it's interesting now and and exactly he's like well and he's like well do you get it like i don't know if you and she's like of course i get it it's this and this and this he's like no like the only way you're gonna get it is if you go say Candyman five times in the mirror, and it makes her uncomfortable. And I'm like, she's like mm, no, yeah. This is the conversation. I mean, I literally had a conversation with a white woman who I was explaining, you know, this to because she wasn't understanding. She goes, I mean, I can't believe the this Black Lives Matter thing. I mean, I mean, can you imagine how upset people would be if we were saying White Lives Matter? I'm like, um, are you kidding me? So I. I was like, this is a conversation that people have every day, trying to explain to white people, like, do you understand the atrocities of the world? Okay, well then say Black Lives Matter. Say his name. Say all their names. Say it. And it makes them uncomfortable. They cringe. Right, exactly. It's like saying you understand, but like not wanting to get too close to it. (laughs) You know, I support it. I support it. You know, it's like that thing. But she did make that... uh, that really interesting comment um, during this conversation about artists being the target for people to gentrify because artists are low income. You know, right. the, the, you know, the art world is not profitable, whether you're an actor, whether you're a, a, a musician, a poet, a visual artist. No. Yeah. It's you pumping out material for other people to, to get rich. But you yourself, you're just being used right. for like your soul. Exactly. But I, but I, I, it was a concept that I hadn't even really thought about before. But I was like, that is so true. They market these low income places, like these gentrified, previously, yes. you know, project kind of places. They market it to people who have low income, like artists, you know, to come in and you know fill these 
space is. I, 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 that was a very interesting conversation. This is a really well-written scene. Yeah, for sure. For sure. There's lots to unpack here. More than I even, uh, either of us are probably even capable of unpacking. I can't, but, yeah. Because it's uh, speaking from an experience that I'm not familiar with. Right. Exactly. And so, Miss Finley, she's like, I gotta go take a dump. And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. If you'll excuse me, I'm gonna go take a shit. Say his name while you're in there. And he, yeah, he's, he's all, <laughs> I dare you. So she goes in the bathroom and she like, she's looking in the mirror, but we don't see her say it. Like no. they cut away. And then we get to, um, you know, back to Anthony who was like picking at his disgusting scab. In Ew, his, it looks horrible. It is, it is so gross. He like pulls too much and he like wraps his hand in this like paper towel. And, and then he, this is when we have our first maybe like full on shot of ghost Candyman of Sherman, you know, in as the reflection because he stops and sees himself as Sherman and they are moving the same. All the while, like we're also seeing like reflections of him in the, in the in, like the frosted glass behind, you know, where like the bathroom is, where Finley's in the bathroom. We see that Candyman's there. Like he's in the building, he's shown up, which yep. we can only assume at this point means that she said it. He's been summoned. Right, so he's like there. So then Anthony's have this moment where he's seeing himself in the reflection. And then Finley comes out and she's like, she's like, what the hell is going on? He's like, uh, and he's looking behind her, and you can see Candyman like peeking from around Ooh, the corner. Yes, Ooh. that gave me chills. I was like, That gave me chills. <gasps> and he's like, he's like, hey bitch, I'm here, I'm waiting. And yes. so at this point, like Anthony has to know that, like he has to know that what's about to happen to her because he freaks out. He That's why away. he's like, I got to get out of here before this bitch dies, and I'm blamed. I'm implicated. Exactly. So I, I wonder if Candyman was like waiting for him to go. He's like, you get out of here. Like yeah. I got this. Yeah. You know, I don't want you to get in trouble. You exactly. Know? You know, and uh, that shot that we talked about with this, you know, you're seeing Candyman like behind her. It's like this movie has a really great way of like putting you into like these nightmarish scenarios. There, it happens later with young William, and we'll talk about it too. But it's just like this glimpse of something that you see, and you're like, oh, "Did you just see yeah, like, that?" I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's like the perspective, yeah. like without it being I like a, a jump scare or something like that. Right. Exactly. Like exactly. It's like subtle, scary, where you're like, "Oh my god, did you see that? Did you like?" And it almost like calls for conversation between people you're watching it with. I think it's really fun. It was a really it's active fun. way to bring him in. So I liked it. I love that part. And then we said that this franchise is sophisticated and I think that the death of Finley is very sophisticated in the way that it's shot. Oh my god. Yeah, this direction right here is incredible. So we have the camera like panning out from her outside window and she and we see her standing there and as the camera gets further and further away, all of a sudden we just see her full on being attacked and murdered. She's just flying around, slamming into the window. Like you're zooming out and you're, you're seeing other people living their lives in their own apartments. Yeah. And you're just watching this woman die. And you're like, there's so, I was overwhelmed because there was so much to look at. But at the same time, it was like, yeah. Oh my God. I had never seen anything done like this before. How well done. Yeah, it was it was a really cool shot. Yeah, she's yeah, you're like seeing her just full on being killed and then there's you're still panning out and seeing everybody around you living their lives. It's kinda of scary to think about. Just that idea that right around the corner from you somebody can be 
getting murdered and you're just out there living your life and you don't even realize the danger that's that's going on in your own building. Yeah, you don't even realize um, that your your neighbor is being murdered by a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, oh my god, it's crazy. And yes. then and then of course we get Brianna amongst her crowd. These these art um connoisseurs, what are they? Yeah. Like one of them is yeah, one of them is like, "Oh, yeah, it's so so desensitized. Like he's like, oh, literally, so happy you're available now. I know it's kind of morbid that somebody had to die in order for you to be available, but my, you know, <laughs> that's a win for me. <laughs> and then so, this this sort of um, backstory for Brianna, I like it. I get it. I I do like the artist, the the commentary on artistry and being consumed in your own art and and the exploitation of other people's art. Um, well, William later, um, I, which I don't think this scene is part of the synopsis, but William later says that um, they love what we make, but they don't love us. And yeah. so these people are just a prime example of how exploitative the industry can be with their artists. Yeah, absolutely. Artists in general. And so, yeah, that's definitely a, a, a really strong commentary here about artists. Like you said, I mean, look at Finley's loft apartment, her penthouse apartment. And then look at these people that run these galleries that display these artists. But where are the artists? Yeah, the artists are the poor ones. It's the art dealers. They're the ones who, for some reason, have all the money. But the artists themselves are people like Anthony who are being you know, criticized for not being able to provide as much in financially. And, you know, he fled Finley's apartment because he knows that she summoned Candyman. He didn't want to be implicated. But as soon as they say that she's been murdered, he runs. And that, to me, I was like, oh! And right away, it seems like Brianna has caught on. She's like, Anthony? Alright, let's keep going. Brianna arrives at their apartment looking for Anthony. She enters his workroom and sees sketches and paintings of various men who have been branded the Candyman. Is that a line from Scream? You mean since you branded him the Candyman? Uh, oh yeah. Stupidity leak. Ah, click, click, click. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony frantically runs into the room, covering up his art from Brianna in a chaotic fluster. He says it is for her own protection. Brianna tries to convince Anthony that the legend of Candyman isn't real by facing a mirror and begins to say Candyman's name. Anthony stops her by shattering the mirror, glass flying everywhere. Brianna flees the apartment in terror. We are reintroduced to Haley at school with her friends. While in the bathroom together, Haley shares the story of saying Candyman in the mirror five times. The group of girls try it and are scared when a girl named Trina abruptly enters the restroom. Trina quickly runs into a stall as the girls bully her by calling her names. As the girls try to exit the bathroom, they find they are locked inside. They are suddenly massacred one by one, the bathroom painted with blood as a frightened Trina watches Sherman kill the girls through the reflection of a mirror. Later, Anthony decides to have his infection checked out as it has now spread up to his face, creating a honeycomb effect on his skin. When a doctor enters the exam room, she welcomes Anthony back since he was born in that same hospital. Anthony informs the doctor that he was born in a different part of town, but the doctor insists his medical records tell a different story. Afterward, Anthony decides to pay a visit to his mother, Anne-Marie, once again played by Vanessa Williams. Vanessa Estelle Williams. <laughs> Vanessa yeah, E. Williams. Not, not save the best for last Wilhelmina Slater, Vanessa Williams. Not her. <laughs> right, not her. 
He confronts her about why she lied about where he was born and asks why he feels a connection to the Candyman story. Anne-Marie confesses that they used to live in the Cabrini Green projects and she never wanted him to find out that he was kidnapped when he was little by who she believes was Helen. Okay, the okay. truth is out. All right, so now we're we're getting the deterioration of Brianna and Anthony. Um, you know, he's losing it. He's like frantically painting, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and um, I thought the scene was kind of funny because, you know, she walks in and she's immediately like scared by the art that he's making. I'm like, this is such artist shit. It's so funny. Because mm-hmm. she's like, what is this? What is it? <laughs> and like most people would be like, it's just paintings. But like, you know, as an artist who, you know, and he's a sensitive artist, like she, his what he's creating was like scary to her but it was like funny because yeah. like some other people were like what it's just paint it's not like he's killing anybody yet <laughs> yeah i know this is kind of a weird reaction that she's getting well I, i'm dating an artist you know like <laughs> hello. yeah but yeah. when he runs in he's like no don't look you know you think that he's being a sensitive artist but i think at this point it's become a reality like he knows this candy man shit is real like if you say his right. name five times you're gonna get killed because now he knows right. that finley is dead and he doesn't want brianna so he's like no 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 don't look don't say it don't don't erase it from your mind she even says she's like this is like past art sensitive artist bullshit like this is getting a little crazy now and she's like she gets desperate and she's like I don't know what other than to tell you she's like Candyman is not fucking real so look I'll prove it to you and everybody everybody in like the theater went <gasps> like like everybody was like oh no she's gonna say mm-hmm. it in the mirror and but you know he stops her luckily by smashing all the all the mirrors but she's like don't follow me <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know the, the seeing all this all these Candyman paintings and sketches you're like you realize how many people have actually been Candyman and how many yeah. different legends and probably different cities and states yeah. and places and different that, scenarios that that yeah. brought them to be Candyman like he being the tortured artist who's falling into this obsession like you said with this bee sting maybe this is what it's doing to him it's given him the knowledge of all these men yeah because where did he find where these men i think came from his mind like he he's yeah. aware of who these people are but he never researched them or investigated he's just all-knowing at this point there's probably not a lot of information about them that's just story it's collective storytelling but he has some supernatural capability now where he can literally paint their actual faces <laughs> mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah there has to be there's something more to it that's going on and i think it has to do with probably the beasting and you know obviously yeah. the haunting that's like happening to him it's almost like he's a different kind of candy man like he's not becoming a candy man like the rest of these men he's becoming the the i don't know the yeah the, the, the conduit yeah he's yeah, kind of like the, the conduit, conduit for, yeah like they're all coming through him you yeah know? huh that's, that's interesting that's, that is interesting. But then we fly over to this scene that I honestly, it was a huge part of the trailer. And I think this is the the scene that everybody got excited about in the teaser trailer. But I thought this was misplaced, misguided. Yeah. I didn't like this scene at all. And it doesn't really go anywhere. So we, basically we get miss Haley, right she's this young teenage white girl who was at the art exhibit and she she's like intrigued by 
the art piece. So she takes a picture of it and then she's like, hey friends, like we need to say this in the mirror. So her and all her friends, they like stand at the mirror and they're all candy man. Candy man. I'm like, why are they saying it like that? I know. And then the one girl runs out. She's like, not today. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Yeah, the Asian girl. She's like, nope. She's yeah, like, not, not today. Me. I'm like, yeah, this isn't, that's not funny. <laughs> they say it five times and Trina comes in and then they start like ragging on her for being drunk. They weren't even really calling her names. They're like, how's the hangover? <laughs> I was like, I think even the shit girl for she was drunk. That's such a random oh, is thing that what they were upset. saying? I could not yes. understand why they didn't like this girl. Uh, first yeah, of all, like, I'm like, I'm already disoriented because I'm like, who are these people? And uh, were, were they in the movie earlier? I'm like, oh, what, what is going on? Yeah, it's, it's like we're playing catch up with the story. Yeah, I'm like, that's a dumb reason to be. And they're like bullying her to the point of like, and then they, I thought this was a high school, and then they say they were college students, and I was like, what? They are extremely immature for being. I mean, I, I guess college students are, are you sure anyway. They're college students? They are college really? because they're playing the news broadcast while Anthony's in the hospital. And they're like, college student, so-and-so, Haley, whatever. And that's kind of when we, like, you know, whatever. And oh, I'm weird. Like, oh, college? Because this looks like a high school. Yeah, I thought it was a high school. I don't know. I, I it, it just... Oh, it yeah, was, you may be right. You're probably right, to be honest. It was but. just weird to me. It, yeah, I think it was... It seemed like they needed more action. Like, they needed at least just one more set of kills in order to, you know, keep the audience interest because the movie was already only going to be 90 minutes. Or it was like, you know, it was like maybe running short. I don't know. It just sped up. I don't know. It just felt like they edited the movie and then they were like, oh shit, I forgot about this scene. Where should we put yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. Because it comes out of nowhere and then it ends and then not much with it happens again. But I guess it's just to signify that the Candyman legend is now beginning to spread. The, the, the word is out now. Now with that, you know, people have taken stuff from the art exhibit and they're now... It's now going into their own personal lives, detached from what's happening with Anthony. Like, this girl has nothing to do with him. She doesn't even know him. But now just doing this, you know, he's been able to kill again. And, um, you know, and I, I... it's like okay it's not my favorite scene we don't really even see what happens to the girls it's a different tone it's a different aesthetic like it even looks different it just looks like it's from a completely different movie yeah it's really weird yeah it looks a little more like freaky as opposed to (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like bright and poppy and i don't know it just i don't know weird yeah i was like is this the craft legacy like what's happening (laughs) seriously (laughs) i i didn't know what to make of this and i thought like having this like little intricate story of Trina, I was like, what the hell? I don't know. I just didn't. I did not like that. This scene. Yeah, it's not the best scene ever, um, and we don't even get to see what happens to the girls. We, we it's like implied that they all get murdered, but we don't really see any of them actually get murdered. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Just like, like some like blood from under the stall, and we see like a little reflection on the compact that's on the ground, but. I mean, other than that, I was like, okay. Yeah. All right. I I thought it could have been left out and the ending maybe could have been a little bit longer. Yes, expanded. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So we so Haley and her friends, they're gone. And then um now we are back to Anthony, who's starting to find out the truth about his past, which he didn't even have any idea that there was anything to know. 
Yeah. Know? And the like, doctor's like, welcome back. You were born here. And he's like, mm, no, I wasn't. I was born on the south side. And they're like, no, you were born here. So that leads him to the reprise of Miss Anne Marie. Oh, my God. But before he gets to her, when he there's a scene when he... Well, he's like at her apartment he's walking through and the camera's like following him but the like the camera work is really weird it's almost like as if the the apartment building is like a swirl you know what i'm talking about and it was like following him through the hallways and it was literally making me dizzy (laughs) i don't know if it was like tripping me out because it's just like following him through the hallway and it almost looks like you know he's almost kind of like going in like a weird like spiral I don't know how to ex- how to explain it, but it's just following him for so long. You're just sort of seeing the same like kind of doors go by, just and it goes on for a while. And it started tripping me out. I was like, oh wow, I'm kind of getting some sort of like vertigo or something from watching this scene. <laughs> Girl, what were <laughs> you him- puffing on before the movie started? <laughs> oh my god, you mean during? I'm just kidding. Oh during. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I was. It was like tripping me out. I was like, whoa, whoa. I was like, I literally had to like look down for a second because I was like, this is making me a little dizzy. But um, um, then he gets to her door and he's all knock knock and um, it's Miss Vanessa Estelle Williams as Anne-Marie. Yeah, I mean, okay, so <laughs> this scene started and uh, the people I was with were not familiar with the original Candyman movie. And Andre yeah. leans over and he goes, who's she supposed to be? And I'm like, his mom. He's like, she she looks younger than him. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, she's from the original movie. She, yeah, she has not aged a goddamn day. Oh, she looks fantastic. Oh my god. Like, I was shocked. I was like, holy shit. She doesn't look... Yeah. I mean, what was that? 92? That's literally 20-something years ago. At literally, like, almost 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. Years ago. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I was born two years after that. Only 20 years ago. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, that was like 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah. judging by my age alone. I'm just I will say, though, it is a little shocking at first because, like, the original movie came out in 1992. The, as the, Anthony would have been a baby, and now this is in 2019, so he's like 28 years old. And you're like, ah, oh, you know, it's like one of those moments where you're like, I'm old. I'm fucking old. <laughs> I'm fucking old. But Miss Anne Marie is not. She looks great. No. She looks great. And then um, this scene is really, really interesting because he he's kind of asking her. He's like trying to pull it out of her. Like, you know, what's the deal? What's going on? Do you know anything about this? And then she like ends up confessing that he is the baby that was taken. I'm like, ooh, and that is like his reaction is like immediately to start like weeping. Yeah, he. Had, it's a very genuine reaction too. I was like, could oh, you imagine though, this. like being an adult and not never knowing that when you were a baby you were kidnapped for a month for a month and and almost sacrificed in a well like what you think at this point is almost being sacrificed in a bonfire yes like that's a lot to take in be like wait what happened to me during that time yeah that you know that's that's crazy so what happened you know, that's it's almost like violating to find that yeah. out and to realize oh. there's a whole 30 days of time that no one knew where I was and like what, what was happening to me. Yeah. So, yeah, his his reaction is like immediately to be like, what the hell? I can't believe this entire time. You've never told me about this. But mm-hmm. she was just trying to protect him. And that's what she said. She was like, I was trying to protect you. Like, I wanted you to have a normal life and not 
be plagued by the fact that you were involved in this in some way. I, and this scene is really brief. And I, yeah. I, I'm like, why did we get Haley? I would have wanted to see, I wanted to see more of Anne-Marie. Because to me, yeah. Anne-Marie is one of the, almost like one of the victims of the, can, of the original Candyman movie. So it's like, I wanted to see more of her. And I was hoping to get her like maybe throughout, or at least if she was just yeah. going to be in one scene, maybe the scene would have been a little bit longer. Or bring her back for the finale in some way. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that... The movie plays out as a slow burn, and then suddenly it just accelerates. And yeah. the, the change in pace and the change in tone is a little distracting. I agree. Yeah, and I, yeah, this is about when the mu- the movie sort of fractures for me. Not obviously the worst, uh, but just it, it sort of gets weaker once we get into the third act. I think. Yeah. So yeah, we and we don't get enough Anne Marie like. Where has she been? I, obviously, she's, she's done okay for herself. She's, But yeah, I really wish maybe we had one more moment with her. Because, uh, you know, he gets upset and he storms out on her and just sort of leaves her upset about it all. And then we never mm-hmm. really get to see the conclusion of The maybe, closure of it all. Yeah. yeah the closure I, I actually it. feel really bad for Anne-Marie because we see in the first movie how dedicated she is as a mother. And yeah. now we see that they're sort of like estranged. And um, yeah. And then knowing what becomes of Anthony in this next section, you're kind of like, oh, poor Anne-Marie. She really loves her son. And I don't know what happened. I know. (laughs) And it is interesting to hear that there is sort of like this like class warfare going on between Anne-Marie and Brianna. Because earlier in the movie, Brianna's like, your mom is accusing me of giving you money so you won't visit her. So obviously Anne-Marie has feelings about him dating this this girl with money because that's those aren't his roots it's so it's interesting to hear that there is also some sort of class warfare going on between the sophisticated you know gentrified population or gentrifying population and then you know the people that it affects like yeah it's almost uh, like probably her yeah like classism within you know the same community yeah exactly interesting yeah yeah Yeah, i thought that was interesting so now we're opening the floodgates to the next section yeah absolutely so why don't we finish it off when Troy and Brianna return to her and Anthony's apartment to collect some of her things, she discovers that Anthony is missing. Concerned, Brianna seeks out William at the laundromat, where he works, to see if he has seen Anthony. As she searches for William, he finds her first, overpowering her and taking her to an abandoned church on Cabrini Green land, the church where he had been baptized. Brianna wakes to find herself tied up in the pews of the church. Anthony is there too, in a fugue state, even more deteriorated by his bee sting infection. William explains that he wants to keep the legend of Candyman alive, and he wants Anthony to become the new Candyman. He recounts how he watched Sherman die at the hands of police, only to be reunited with him once again when his sister was killed by him after saying Candyman in the mirror. William proceeds to saw off Anthony's hand, shoving a rusty hook into the stump of his wrist. He then calls the cops because he wants them to show up to kill Anthony, thus turning him into the new Candyman, a Candyman that is used as an instrument of vengeance rather than a symbol of black pain and suffering. Brianna is able to free herself and run away from the scene. William chases after her and suspects she's hiding in one of the abandoned row houses of the forgotten Cabrini Green neighborhood. She emerges, viciously stabbing William multiple times with a pen, killing him. 
Anthony enters the scene, dying of his various injuries. He collapses in Brianna's arms. Just then, the cops show up. Immediately, rather than helping the suffering Anthony and Brianna, they shoot Anthony to death without warning. Brianna is arrested and put in the back of a cop car. The cops prove that they are incompetent and threaten Brianna to lie and say that Anthony was attacking her and provoke the cop to shoot him. Instead, Brianna summons Candyman in the car's rearview mirror, and the dead Anthony, now completely transformed into Candyman, resurrects and slaughters the cops. Anthony's head becomes encircled by a swarm of bees and his reflection is seen in the cop cars as the various versions of Candyman. Brianna gets out of the cop car following Anthony. The bees dissipate from his face and we now see the face of Daniel Robitaille, played by Tony Todd. He asks Brianna to tell everyone what he's done, thus keeping the Candyman legend alive. The end. Whoa, I feel like I just rode a roller coaster. Seriously, it all happened so damn fast. So fast. All right, so, uh, you know, we got the return of Troy, uh, protective big brother, little brother. I would say little. Yeah, he seems like a younger brother to me. Or she's just more mature than him. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, So they decide, they, they go to the apartment, um, and they find that he's missing. And so she's like, well, he was talking about that guy, William. Maybe he knows. She had like a list. You see that she's like crossing off the people that she's been calling. And yeah. um, so then she gets to William. So she goes to that laundromat. It's kind of funny to see that we are introduced to him in a laundry room. And then he owns a laundromat now. There's a really great moment when uh, Brianna's like looking around and she kind of goes into the back looking for William and she opens up this door that leads to this like dark basement and she uh, goes, nope. <laughs> she I know. Uh, I'm like, door. is this a tie in to Jordan Peele's next movie? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Maybe. Oh, maybe. I, I, I don't know if they, maybe that he just loved that idea so much that now he created the whole movie around <laughs> this idea yeah. that yeah. will be coming out within the next year or whatever other people would be dumb enough to go down there hello william anthony (laughs) yeah no exactly and and you know what that's something i think that was talked about in horror noir and that we've talked about before on the podcast where it's like when you put people of color into the front and center of your movies the reactions are always going to be different and and so this is a prime example of that like stupid white people go in to investigate the strange noise or open the dark yeah. door and go in, you know? It's like, but other people from different experiences are not going to do that. I'm so. like, no, I'm not. Or, or even even down to when <laughs> Troy was like, do you want to hear a scary story? And she's all, no. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and then he's like, well, I'm going to tell you anyway. She's like, um, I voted no. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. want to hear that. but then um we have a really uh another kind of really creepy shot i think again didn't require any big noise jump scare or anything but it's just a shot of this this woman like doing her laundry and you see in the background that she that brianna is now locked in to the back room but it's like a clear glass door yeah and she's trying to get this girl's attention but the girl has her airpods in so she can't hear her and then you just see somebody who at this point you assume it's Candyman grab her and drag her away and I was like ooh that kind of that scene also 
gave ch- you know me some chills. I would say mm. I'm telling you, Nia Costa, she directed the fuck out of this movie. Yeah, she did a great job. She did. She really did. These moments are like I, like we were talking about earlier. It's like this perspective, like where you're looking at it from. It makes it more compelling than being front and center and seeing it all loud in your face. Yeah, it's not like, bah! It's like, it's not that. Yeah. You know, it didn't require that. It was a quiet moment, but it still since makes you have a reaction either way, even without the assistance of, you know, a loud jump scare noise. You know, you're just seeing her being dragged away and you're like, oh shit. And then uh, she wakes up and she's in the church. This, you know, this old Cabrini Green church that is very reminiscent to the sets of the original Candyman with all like the neon graffiti and yeah uh, I love this set design and one of the things that we get out of this which I think is a really cool Nia DaCosta moment is when William is looking back at the moment that his sister died at the hands of Candyman and um, there's this flashback scene with again this really great young actor and he he hears his sister doing Candyman in the mirror in the bathroom with her, with her friend and then there's all this commotion and he goes and the way that this is directed and I guess written as well where he opens a door and he can't see anything but you just see like a leg or an arm just with a little bit of blood oh yeah and he's like what is going on and then in the reflection of the mirror that he just a peek into the the bathroom it feels like a memory that you might recall from your own childhood you know where you're just like peeking through a door and then he sees sherman's reflection in the mirror and it's like ooh, that is creepy it's filmed really well i do have questions though about this scene i'm a little confused i mean i guess it it just like okay is so this is how he is like how you reconnected with Candyman? (laughs) do they have like a conversation after so like this whole narrative has been flipped right like we flipped the narrative from Candyman only murdering black people and with the white people at the you know front and center of the story Mm -hmm. to this movie which has um kind of obviously changed that narrative and all like the sort of white people are dying around this but then we have this scene where where the sister gets murdered i was like okay why why did that happen you know what i'm saying i i feel like it sort of muddies the i don't know the message or the well to me it all almost seems like and just given all the storytelling up to this point that this 1977 version of Candyman and the Candyman from 1992, I've heard other podcasts talk about it too, homies of horror. It's like, why is Candyman killing black people when he right. had this birth of a nation backstory that should make him want to seek revenge on white people? And right. so then we get this new storyline of like, well, Candyman is not just Daniel Robitaille. It's also an accumulation of different men who have been portrayed as this boogeyman. And yeah. it's almost, it's made the black community more scared because they either don't want to die at the hands of Candyman and they don't want to become Candyman either. So oh, okay. now it's like the, what William is doing, which I thought on the first watch was very confusing. And not until I read reviews and this synopsis, because this synopsis is coming from a different, someone's review as well, um, is that, oh, he wants to literally do what we all said the original Candyman should have done, which is change the narrative. And Candyman should not be used as now a tool 
for black people to be afraid of or I see become but now it's being used as like it like the synopsis that's like an instrument of vengeance rather than a symbol of black pain and suffering like it's not right. about this cycle of black suffering anymore but now we're gonna use it we're gonna take black people are gonna take back the legend of Candyman and use it against white people so what, by what you're saying is like so the 1977 Candyman the Sherman and then the 1992 they're like equal opportunity like yeah. I, anybody can, so black people white people anybody can die yeah and it's like a boogeyman that's really also contributing to okay keeping you know quote unquote black people in their place you know what i mean like okay. like you've already been sectioned off into cabrini green and also beware the boogeyman beware the candy i see you know it's like, i see okay and now it's widespread and at this point we've only seen like white people die not necessarily because he only kills white people just because those are the only people that have been you know the ones who have been dumb enough to say Candyman five times it just is like circumstance as opposed to being purposeful even though the, maybe the movie made it purposeful the motivation of Candyman isn't as personal as purposeful of just killing white people but then but it's like William's motive is for that to happen like and I think that goes back to his quote from earlier it's like they love the art that we make but they don't love us so it's like here are these white people consuming art from black artists and it becomes part of their lifestyle you know you appropriate it even and you exploit it and now Haley's over there saying have you guys ever heard of Candyman but then she's bullying this black girl but then yeah but she's but she's spreading the word of a black artist without actually appreciating black people. Now that scene started to make more sense to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my God, look at us. Like, it's all coming together. On the fly. Yeah. Yes. So it's almost like it's not so much that white people are only dying in this movie because, you know, we're kind of not just reclaiming the Candyman legend, but also it's like, well, these white people are gentrifying, they're appropriating, they're, you know. They're appropriating this, the the collective storytelling that is candy yeah and they're and they're consuming it they're consuming the art of these black artists without any appreciation for the actual artist it's not just a a commentary on racism but it's also a commentary on the art industry in all aspects yeah Yeah. so yes then we have this this like finale right and like um anthony is like in a total catatonic Mm -hmm. state and then uh, to the point where William literally saws off his arm and he it's like there's nothing. no feeling yeah he probably can't yeah, even feel his arm anymore yeah he's just done for he's just a, oh, he's gone sad. he's a goner and he get and he gets the hook in the hand William's like I called the cops and you know I'm gonna keep Candyman's legend alive Woo! yeah but in a different way <laughs> right but then he pulls out those lollipops that have the razor blades in them which was something I didn't notice until the second time because after, because then we have this like chase scene between him and Brianna, and I didn't understand why his mouth was all bloody. I was like, why is his mouth so bloody? I was like, did he bite her or so? I don't, I, I didn't know. But it's because oh. he pulls out these lollipops that have razor blades in them, and I'm assuming yes. he stuck one in his mouth. Yeah, the character of William is a little weird. Um, it's sort of like he's stuck in the past, even with the laundry thing. Like he's just all oh, laundry, laundry. You know, like he's just yeah. constantly reliving this cycle. And now he's found yeah. the opportunity with this artist to to retrain the brain of Candyman and like almost like make it 
like, okay, I'm gonna make Candyman, but I'm gonna make it so that, I mean, I don't know if we wanna jump ahead this far yet, but basically Brianna uses Candyman in the way that William wants him to be right exactly i mean he's ultimately successful do i think that william was necessary for Candyman to you know get his way no i think Candyman is a much more powerful character i don't think he needs like a little lackey or a henchman to like perpetuate this story you know i i don't know if i like love this idea that it was all william's idea from the get-go like i i kind of wish it was yeah more Candyman. you know i know yeah i mean like i think he's i think i think the performance is amazing oh, from yeah. uh, Coleman Domingo, but like I don't know, I don't know if I like I don't know, and I'll, I'll just all go so quickly. Like the first time, I hardly understood what the motive was. I was like, wait, what? You know what? Too, I I almost feel like his purpose to do this, like I'm gonna instead of Candyman killing black people, I'm gonna make him only because it almost seems like he's affected by the discovery of his sister dead at the hands of yeah. Candyman. He's like, why is this happen? Why does this keep happening to us? Like I almost feel like this is the trigger for him to be like I'm gonna make it my mission I don't know how long it's gonna take take 30 years or 40 years 50 years but I'm gonna make it my mission to so that this doesn't happen to black people ever again oh that's interesting yes. yeah yeah like oh like this happened to my sister this shouldn't be happening to my sister she's part of you know my com- this community and and the Candyman legend at the heart of it is born and bred from a racist act like she should not be the victim of this oh okay yeah that makes way more sense it does make more sense and i think that might be the direction they were going but at the same time it's like well tell us straight up instead of giving him this big poetic monologue that i just got lost in like you know just tell us what it is right exactly i think it would have served better being a little more transparent and also this whole thing with just anthony in this point just being completely hollowed out in a way it's almost yeah. like the bees too could be a metaphor for the white villains of the mm. Candyman backstories like honeycombing black people sucking them dry of their artistry and their this but then but we but we that's see true. how the society treats black people and you know that's how honey works like you think of bees like they create they naturally create honey and we steal it for our consumption <laughs> oh yes you know this is Oh my god. We're brilliant. <laughs> oh my so then god. We have, so then we have this like chase scene. Brianna gets free. I don't really like this hallway scene. It's too dark. And like with the bl- yeah. with the blue light, you know, I I couldn't even see what happened. I thought, and that's why when he had the bloody mouth, I was like, he's also talking with a weird speech impediment because I think his tongue is fucked up. But anyway, Brianna attacks and she just she lets William have it. She's, she's taking a- out <laughs> every frustration yeah. she's ever felt in her life out on this on this man the double tap theory like you know most people like yeah hit the killer and then they run away and then he's able to get up and still kill them like she said nope boop 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 then anthony comes in and this is really sad and again like if we're gonna go to a commentary of the artist being just totally consumed in his art this is a very macabre example of that you know he's literally become one of his artworks he's become the art piece the artist becomes the art dying in the arms of his love oh my god oh my god that's so romantic but also sad it's so sad it's really sad this is really sad yeah and then the police come then it's just tragedy tragedy the shadow of the cop on the wall was yeah it's a perfect bookend to to be the very beginning is the first thing we see is 
these shadow puppets of a man running from a cop and you know that little William is playing with is a reflection of the true horrors of police brutality this playing out it's it goes from being like a horror movie the Candyman franchise to then being an example of true life horror I think it's brilliantly filmed and that I like that we don't we don't have to watch Anthony being shot by these cops like they sort of keep the camera on her and they kind of go to that shadow. We don't even really see the cop either because I, I don't think it's imp- I don't think it's necessary for people to experience that trauma. You know, I think it's probably really triggering for people of color to, you know, watch watch black people being shot at the hands of white cops like it's right. so I think that they were they were very conscious of that and they're like mm-hmm. that's not necessary to show. We'll get it. We'll understand what's happening. The reason why it's happening is to give you this justice but that but showing it would have been too much. Yeah. Totally. Right, exactly. So then Miss Brianna, she's taken She's taken to the cop car. This motif that we've been seeing of Candyman only being seen in the mirrors, and we were talking about how it's because it's not the Candyman itself. It's not the person that became Candyman. It's not Sherman. It's Candyman. Yeah. And so that's why we're seeing the reflection. So then when we see these cops, we only see them through the windows and the mirrors. Yeah. They're the true evil. It was never Sherman. It was the Candyman. It was the idea, the reflection. We're now being able to see the true monsters of this yeah. idea of what's happening. Yeah, and it, it, it's like a flip. We don't ever see fully, you know, the cops. We don't see the actors fully. We only see them in reflection, which is what we've only seen from Candyman. And now, as at this moment when uh, Brianna's in the car and she summons Candyman, all of a sudden this is we're seeing full-on Candyman. It's like they've switched. It's almost like the bad mm-hmm. people are now back in the mirror, but it's not who we think it is. And Candyman is now on full display. I mean, we we can see him in full body. You know, Brianna runs out and she sees him slaughter that last cop who you know gave her that horrendous ultimatum. All of a sudden, you know, the bees clear and we have a clear as day shot of Tony Todd, Daniel Robitaille. With like CGI age reversal. It looked great though. It looked great though. But yeah, so now we're seeing Candyman. He is now part of the real world. And, um, you know, the the horrors and the actual evil are now only be- being portrayed in the mirrors. And I thought that was pretty brilliant. And, and this ending with Brianna facing Candyman and he says, they'll say I shed innocent blood, but they are not innocent. And it's almost like, wow. And then we see this change in the narrative. And now Candyman's saying, I'm going to use you to spread my word. It's almost like what happens to Helen in the original, but this is more in line with the narrative that Candyman needed. I get it. It's like a cathartic justice that Candyman has gone from this like evil entity that they fear to being, you know, like this like dark Avenger for them. I don't know. There's a little something a little marvely about it, like having him turn into this like actiony hero, like at the end, and then with a bit of a cliff, a bit of a cliffhanger oh, okay. ending. Spread the word. Tell my, Tell story, my story, and I'll be back. Yeah. for another sequel. In the midst of it, though, like when you're just relating it to what's happening in the movie, like the just Anthony dying and then him being seen in the reflection as the different variations of Candyman like even there's like a kid in there and when this is happening I'm just literally thinking back on 
again, the story is George Floyd, and then they show, and then they show the kid reflection. I'm like, well, there's a kid Candyman, and then I thought of like Trayvon Martin, and I'm like, this is effective because it, it, I'm watching Candyman, but in the way that it's doing its commentary this time around, it's really making you think, and it's really bringing up these these stories of these men yeah. who were killed at the hands of right. police brutality and it worked for me I was like I'm thinking about this and this is you know not just an art a, an art exhibit or a trend or a fad but it's something that needs to be changed in our reality so that we don't keep having Candyman exactly because until there's not a necessity for Candyman anymore like that's where society needs to be that is a brilliant way to sort of leave it and then the ending credits roll and we get these flashes of the little puppets playing out these seemingly historical interpretations of these subjects of Anthony's work, the different variations of Candyman and how they were murdered and how they became their le- the legend of Candyman, which I thought was an artistic choice and feeding in more to those little puppets. And it, and it really sets up I'm sure there are going to be more movies. <laughs> yeah, maybe even go further back or, yeah. you know. I don't think the franchise is done. I feel like this is going to be, this is just the start. This is like a resurgence. Point. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which is why I say it's a little marvel-y. It feels like it is a bit of a setup for more movies. <laughs> but um, that's just the time we live in, I guess. So what are your final thoughts? Final thoughts? Um, I was really impressed with this movie. I loved it a lot. Um, you know, there's things here and there that are like, okay, but I honestly feel like we cleared a lot of my questions up, you know, in this just conversation we're having about it. But I think that it is really well done. I think Nia DaCosta directs the hell out of it. It's still spooky and scary, like, you know, for like a supernatural serial killer that can feel a little, I don't know, not hokey, but it just feels like niche, like where only horror fans will get it or like think it's scary. But no, I think that they accomplished making it still really scary. And I saw it twice already and I can't wait to sort of watch it and learn more every time I do. And Yeah, I think there's still a lot more you can unpack from this. And maybe some of our opinions and ideas about this will change as we keep on watching. That's true, that's true. Um, but overall, I'm going to give it a four out of five. Yeah. I know that there were critics that had issues with it, maybe being too exploitative to a, a real life horror and societal injustice that yeah. keeps existing. I can't, obviously, I can't speak to that experience, but the movie was what the movie was about. And it's essentially an art exhibit. It's like, it's, it is what it was in the movie. It's a, an art exhibit, a hyper-realistic presentation of true horror and it made me think and reflect the stories of the injustices of that happen to people every day yeah at the hands of a racist society but as far as the film is concerned I, there's there it's very well done like you said Nia DaCosta is a fabulous director I can't wait to see more from yeah, her I can't wait um, and other projects um, there was a bit of a pacing issue I felt and you know there's some weird moments in editing and you know things like that I think maybe things could have been like expanded further I think 90 minutes I would have liked two hours two hours totally yeah. I think an extra 30 minutes of was needed but I think the direction and the cinematography were beautiful the writing was great although the ending isn't it doesn't have 100% feel all together yeah but Essentially, I think this film is more important than it appears at first. And I'm hoping for more from this franchise with this new narrative 
but overall, four out of five. Yes, yes. I'd say it's a success. It was a success. And there's going to be more from Monkey Paw Productions and Jordan Peele and Nia DaCosta. And uh, honestly, I mean, I know that some people who still can't go to theaters are going to have a hard time getting around to seeing this movie because I don't think this is going to be one that's just going to be on demand. I think it made enough money to stay in theaters and ride out its success. And I'm hoping the best for it as it continues to get the money. Absolutely. Yes. All right. Well, that is Candyman. Get ready to join us next week as we get annihilated. Ooh. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited for that one because that's another one that's going to, it's going to be a a deep one. But before we go, uh, make sure you are following us on Instagram at Fear the Talking Queers. Uh, Visit our website, www.fearthetalkingqueers.com. And also, hey, leave us an Apple Podcast review. Leave us a review anywhere. And if you do, let us know. Yeah. Tell us on Instagram. Even if you don't have Instagram, email us. Tell us that you left us a review. We love it. We appreciate it. And we want to know so that we can thank you personally. Yes. We want to acknowledge, you know, the fact that you took time out of your day to write something nice about us. Or bad about us. I don't know. Maybe we'll get in a fight with you. Just kidding. (laughs) All right. So, um, yeah, make sure you do all those things and we'll see you next week uh sweet screams bitch bye